There's only six real reasons why we network, but I share all that because usually we get so caught up in what it is that we're after that we forget that networking is actually a we thing rather than a me thing. Welcome to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast, and I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking to accelerate sales, personal development, and career opportunities. In Conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintain, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. My guest today wears many hats. Michael Goldberg is a speaker, author, adjunct professor, amateur boxer, and championship networker. On today's episode, I discuss with Michael how his love for boxing has impacted his networking, and Michael shares tips on how to make genuine connections with others to build lasting and collaborative relationships. What do you say we dive right in? Michael Goldberg, welcome to the show. I am looking forward to digging deep with, about your career, your life, what you do, what you're going to be doing, and uh, just having some fun. What do you say we get started? That sounds good, man. How are you, Adam? Living the dream, my friend. Living the dream. <laughs> I like to say when people ask me, I say I'm outstanding, but working on getting better. <laughs> I love motioning, at least when they can see me and, and kind of, you know, a little, uh, almost like a shot glass, like I'm this much better than tremendous. <laughs> Ooh, I might throw that into my repertoire. Yeah. I always, get a, I always get a chocolate. And I always have people like do it back. And next time I see them, I say, how are you? And they just kind of motion. They just got a motion with a little shot glass thing. And that's it. And we both laugh. That's a beautiful thing. This so, much so, better than tremendous. Oh, and yeah, I agree. So tell me, Michael, for those who, for some reason, just don't happen to know who you are, give me the quick and dirty. What's the overview about kind of who you are and what you're doing with yourself? Well, I definitely keep busy for sure. So I would say there's three main hats that I wear on the business front. First and foremost, I founded, lead a company called Knockout Networking. And yes, I do box and I'm a fanatic about boxing, but I also do some amateur stuff. And there's even in the ring sparring uh, just this past week. So Knockout Networking is focused on delivering training, speak, speaking. I, I are a professional speaker, speaking, <laughs> speaking, coaching, consulting, authoring. I wrote a book focused on helping sales producers. And I have a niche within the financial services community grow their business through networking. So that's the one hat that I wear and kind of the main hat where it's all about networking and connecting and probably a big part of what we're going to be talking about here. The second hat that I wear is that I lead a networking group called the Networking Group, and we call it TNG for short. And that is now a national organization, a national networking organization that's focused on uh, creating a platform of a vetted community community of networkers that are focused on having a blast while growing their business and the brand and the culture is a lot of the ideas that I share. And we've had conversations. So I know we, we share in a lot of those ideas and doing some similar work, Adam. And, uh, and then the third hat that I wear, which is more of a labor of love than anything else, is that I'm an adjunct professor at Rutgers University. And on a Monday night, it's now all virtual. Now, given the whole COVID thing is now it's all remote. So I teach a class called public speaking, which is another form of connecting and building relationships and being able to do that. So 
three different but kind of interrelated hats that I wear that I might throw in the ring on the business front. So uh, it keeps me pretty busy, that's for sure. Yeah, that's an understatement. I love how you tie everything to boxing. That is just an easy way to remember things. It's really creative and it's obviously something that you're passionate about. How did that come to be? It's funny. I wasn't clever enough to come up with the boxing thing early on. When I founded Knockout Networking in June of 2000, it wasn't Knockout Networking. It was something else. In fact, it was called Building Blocks Consulting. Hmm. And Building Blocks Consulting, the thought was getting back to fundamentals and basics and putting the building blocks together on building your leadership and hence your network and your business. And I was just getting into boxing at that time. And had always been a fan. And as I got more involved with boxing, when I would be speaking at different organizations, it was usually big events with financial advisors, you know, again, my niche. But then I would weigh in with another story about how to make a connection. Or I would talk about how you lead with the right and how you always start with your power punch. And little by little, the metaphors work its way in. I talk about how networking like boxing or boxing like networking, you know, it's about the connections. It was always about the connection. And I always made those parallels. And I had so much fun with it. And then at one point, I was working with a large broker dealer, which is a platform in the financial services industry, where you have financial advisors there. And I was speaking at a conference. So here I'm with all these advisors. And this happened to be down in Texas. And I remember sharing a story. And I said, let me just weigh in with another connection. And after I finished that story, this big cowboy, I mean, it was like something out of a movie, stood up. He was a financial advisor but with a cowboy hat and the whole thing. He said, you're a real knockout networker, boy. And he sat down. And I paused, smiled, and looked at him and said, thank you. <laughs> and knockout networking was born. And then it all became framed around where to go, what to say, and with whom to make more and better connections. So now people come to me with boxing stories and who they know. And it's really a blast. That's great. I mean, in your videos, doing them in the ring, what gym did you do them in, by the way? It's Gleason's gym, but the Jersey Shore version of it. So it's Gleason's gym in Long Branch. And I know the owner there, which is actually a networking story. I actually met her watching the Pacquiao fight. I don't remember who Manny Pacquiao was fighting, but it was at a restaurant in on the Jersey Shore and the place was packed. And I remember being at the bar, all of us standing, and, and my friend that I was supposed to meet uh, at the last minute wasn't going to show up. So he texted me, I can't make it. So now I'm stuck in this place watching this fight by myself, right? But the uh, place is just jam-packed. So I didn't feel like standing at the bar for the next few hours watching all the undercards in the fight. So I ended up seeing this woman seated with a guy, and there was an open chair. So I thought, let me wait a round or two and then see if there's nobody that's going to sit in that chair. Maybe I'll see if I can ask if I can sit there. And that's kind of how it played out is a couple of rounds went by. I kept looking back. Nobody came back from the restroom or anything. So I went over and introduced myself. And that happened to be the owner and operator of that Gleason's gym, Jackie, and then her friend who's a trainer. So I sat there and not only did they, were they generous enough, of course, I bought them around, but we were talking boxing the entire time and we formulated a friendship. So I was able to do all that filming and anything I want to do in that Gleason's gym anytime I want. She just throws me the keys all because... I was bold enough to go up there and introduce myself and ask if I could have the chair. So I, I know something that you talk about is if you don't ask the question, the answer's always no. Well, look where that led. I've got this friendship. I've got a trainer. 
And all these things came out of just asking the question. That's a beautiful thing. There, there's a gentleman that was on the show. His name is Dr. Wayne Baker. And, and Dr. Wayne Baker, was uh, he's at one of Adam Grant's mentors. And they also are, are owners in a company called Givitas. And, and we can get into that a little later. But he wrote a book, All You Have to Do is Ask. <laughs> That's right. And it's really interesting. <laughs> and, and here's a perfect example. It's part of everything networking. Yeah. And it's funny. I hadn't even thought of that story until you just asked me that question. But that was so long ago when pay-per-view fights were brought into big-time restaurants and you weren't paying a big cover or anything like that. But that place was packed. I don't think even after pandemic stuff, I'm not sure if that ever happens again. Yeah, that's a totally, it's a different world. So tell me, where, where do you see, I mean, as, as a veteran in this space, a wildly successful business leader, author, teacher, professor, whatever, just all around great guy doing this all these years, where do you see most people going off the rails when it comes to uh, the networking and building relationships? Yeah. So, so just in general, I think people go off the rails because we get so enamored with what it is that we're after, the end game. And there's really only six end games when we're networking from the lens that I look through. It's either you're looking for more business, uh, you're looking to land a job, you're looking to learn something, learning about a product. Yeah. So, I mean, you can network to learn something. You can network for social reasons, dating, friendships. You can network to basically just pay it forward, just help people out with nothing in return. Or you could be out to solve a very specific problem. Like that's it. There's only six real reasons why we network. But I share all that because usually we get so caught up in what it is that we're after that we forget that networking is actually a we thing rather than a me thing. Like it's about collaboration. So if I focus on, I could really delve into how I can help Adam achieve some of the things that he's after. He might help me right back, right? So it's not that it's a tit for tat, but relationships should be give and take. It should be collaborative. That's what makes them good relationships. And I think we end up losing sight of that. Certainly in the financial services community where I spend most of my time, that's about the number one default that I find a financial advisor make when they're setting up a meeting and they're saying something and it doesn't play out the way they want. We like do, 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 kind of circle it back. And it's always because they went into sales mode when it, it really wasn't the appropriate time to do that. Yeah. And did you have an epiphany yourself or did someone share the insights with you or was it just reading? How did this come? You know, when did it go off for you? The importance of the giving aspect. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, it was like a hundred years ago. I mean, I think I was just wired that way, honestly, because I quit a really good job to start a career doing what nobody else was doing. I'm like, think about it. Like what we're doing, it's not, there's no playbook. To it. It's not like I'm going to go and be a CPA. There's lots of other CPAs. I'm going to become an attorney or a financial advisor where the script is already written. It's like, we're kind of writing our own script. So as my friends joke, they say, you conjured up the business out of nothing. And that's so true. <laughs> like I created this marketplace, established the need or highlighted the need, and then created a product, a service, an approach, and a philosophy that fit. And a lot of that philosophy, I was already doing. Like I just knew yeah, and there's a lot of other things, a lot of other mistakes I made, but I just knew early on that if you help great people, and they have to be great people, like they have to be people that you like, trust, respect, and they have to be really good at what they do. If you help those people get what they want, they just help you right back. And I just knew that intrinsically, and it just felt right to me. And, and that's just fundamental. So it's like a no-brainer for me that I always had this we approach. I always had this collaboration because I, I love getting to know people. 
And I was genuinely interested in understanding what it is that they did so I could figure out a way. Because to me, it would just be a thrill just to help them. And as they helped me right back, as I started meeting more and better people, they started helping me in more and better ways. Oh, that's a great answer. And, and how'd you find the niche? Like, what was it about the financial advisor space <laughs> that really attracted you? Yeah, you know, I, I didn't have it figured out in June of 2000 that I wanted to focus on helping people network, grow their business, generate referrals or recruit. That wasn't really my angle. You know, the original focus was really on leadership and communication because the, the last job that I had was with a training and consulting firm that doesn't exist anymore. But that's really what my focus was, leadership, communication, and anything connected to that. But when I went off on my own, I knew that while I don't have this big budget called marketing with millions of dollars that I could spend on all this stuff, it was before social media was a thing. So I just knew that I had to get out there. And again, if I helped other people, they'd probably help me right back. And I got caught up with an organization called, which I think is a great organization called BNI, which is Business Networking International. And I became a leader in that organization. And it really embraced a lot of the values that I already had in many ways, although there was a lot to learn there. And I was, you know, I was asked to be a speaker for a big conference for BNI. And it was in the Port, Portsmouth, New Hampshire on July 2nd, 2002. And I remember that because it was really the only slide that I had. I wasn't really a great slide guy. And I was in front of hundreds and hundreds of people. And I remember people just packed the room and they even paid me a big fee. Like being, I paid me a big, the largest fee I'd ever been paid to be in front of a group of people. So there was definitely a need and something clicked for me, Adam, in front of that audience, because not only did I get paid in a manner that I wasn't used to, but everybody wanted to be there. Like they were there because they wanted to be there and they paid to show up. So when I was doing all this leadership communication stuff, People were being told they need to be in a room or in a forum with me so they could learn something. And whether they wanted to or not, they were there. So they weren't always happy campers. I had to win them over. When I was working with salespeople, sales owners, which is what this whole audience was, they absolutely wanted to be there. And they were high energy and they were interactive. At the end of my talk, which I have no like memory of whatsoever, I just know I was on a different planet. And I also knew that I needed more, like, I got to get me more of this, the energy, the interaction they paid to be here. And I didn't think that small business was niche enough. I didn't think that small businesses could really be in a position to have me do what I thought that I really wanted to do. But I also knew that, and this is in 2002, that the Federal Trade Commission in 2003 was going to roll out the do not call list. Uh, and I knew as I was looking at industries and professions that would really embrace my message, who would be the ones or what vertical would be the ones to embrace, value the message and have the resources to be able to bring me in where it could be rinse, repeat. And they were very much like me. And it just became financial services. Like where else could I go where there's resources, people like me, high energy and a need that will be forever. So when I rolled all of my marketing out, it was all paralleling the Federal Trade Commission and the DNC, the do not call list. So in October of 2003, when that rolled out, my whole business changed and it became Prudential, MetLife, Mass Mutual, AXA, Guardian, ba, 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 ba. 
and it exploded. Wow. That's a great story. I love your foresight too. Just knowing that was going to work that the, the do not call list. And I, I didn't it. know it was going to work. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, you know, but I, but I knew that there was a need. Like I knew that yeah. advisors already struggled with networking and they were cold calling. So imagine what happens when the landscape and that industry, you know, changes the game forever. Like this pandemic right now, better or for worse, it's changed the game forever. And that's really what the DNC did in sales driven industries, especially ones that are not salaried. You know, they're all commission based. So I mean, real estate and but financial services is really, I think, the industry that took the the biggest hit if you didn't see it. And so it's not that I knew, I was just confident that there was a need there. So what are the things that you're really imparting to some of these people? So, the, you know, your audience is essentially people that are highly driven, right? They're, and they're, they've got a sales mentality right, and they right. want to succeed. So you've got that in your favor. But what are the challenges that they're running up against? Is it is it the follow through? Is it really understanding what networking is? What is it that you are having to really focus on when you're working with some of these individuals? Yeah, initially, it's really just un- helping advisors understand the fundamentals of really what networking is, because this is not something that most are taught in colleges or universities. Enter my Goldberg's public speaking class. Right? Mm-hmm. Is that I, I teach a lot of the networking ideas because these undergrads and in some case graduate students need to know how to connect and land a job or an internship. And they're busy texting, tweeting on TikTok. So they don't know the first thing about where to go, what to say and with whom and developing relationships and the whole thing. But it's really even before any of the tech stuff is that advisors are not trained to network and make connections. They're trained on long-term care, on life insurance, on financial planning, on mutual funds, on succession planning. Like they're, they're trained on products and services. They earn their designations and then that's bye-bye, go bring business in. And if they don't bring business in, they don't get paid. So they get, well, we get so caught up in our own product or service that we forget that networking is a we thing. Well, these advisors, many of them, don't know it and still don't know it. They still think it's a me as in them thing that it's really just about getting meetings with people and pitching them on financial planning or life insurance or whatever it is. So that's the first is the the networking mindset. It's that shift. And you have to do that when it boxing too. Like I struggled when I learned, you know, how to box and getting in the ring for the first time because I was afraid to hurt people. Like I'm a relationship. I teach relationship skills and now I got to get in the ring and I have to change that and now be focused on killing that other guy. And it took me a while to be able to make that shift because I needed a fighter's mindset. That fighter's mindset is that you are a warrior and that's it. That other person is your enemy until it's over. And so a networking mindset, you have to have that mindset. It's the opposite. It's about how do I meet, connect, communicate, help other people. So over time, they might help me right back. And that's a big shift, especially for a financial advisor that's looking to get assets under management by Q3. So it's a whole, once you shift that, then it's about getting into the X's and O's in terms of where you need to go, what you need to say, with whom you need to say it. I got to tell you, one of the things that I I really liked in your course that I thought was some some good takeaways was when when meeting people, and I can't remember if it was the first time or even if it was just someone that you normally speak with, bringing a card and even just asking their permission to you know write down some notes. I talk about this all the time, and I'll tell you, most people 
they, they don't do it. They're afraid to do it. But it's been my experience that when- They're afraid would, to do which part, Adam? They're afraid to exchange cards or they're afraid no, to ask if they can take a note or take notes? Yeah, like to bring the paper and bring the note out, mm. which I think is, it's great. I actually don't, well, I do, I write on the back of cards or sometimes I'll just write in my phone and I'm just very straightforward about it. Like you just said something that was really important to you. And if it's important to you, it's important to me. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to, I want to remember that. So, and I just thought that was great advice in, in the way that you well, delivered thanks. it. And it's even the, just the notion of, and I often will have index cards with me because mm. I don't like writing on the back of people's cards. In my mind, it's disrespectful. And in certain cultures, especially in oh. Japan and some others, in Asian cultures, it's just considered disrespectful to write on somebody's card. So I almost never write on their card. I usually have index cards with me, but I will still ask permission if I could take a note. And people are really taken by that because I mean, it's just permission marketing because, you know, what they're saying and your feeling about what they're saying is so noteworthy that you want to take the time to capture it. And by asking permission, the response I always get, it, and it, it, it's true even today even with technology, like I'd rather than type in my phone, you know, I'd rather just scratch on, a, on, on an index card. But other than people thanking me, the next response I always get is you have an extra one. That's a great idea. So then I started branding, you know, index card, knockout networking, because now I want people walking around with that. And now they're capturing notes. And again, it's about the connection. And just a real simple way for $4.99, you can get a thousand of them at Walgreens. I mean, what a great marketing tool. Agreed. Completely agreed. What, what are some questions you recommend that people ask when they're meeting somebody for the first time? The art of small talk, which yeah. I like to consider the big talk, so important so valuable in an area that so many people lack. Agreed. And I don't consider myself a great small talker. And I think it's because I just don't like it. Like, I don't like chit chat if it's just idle chit chat, unless I'm laughing, unless there's, you know, something that's funny that's going on or it's, or it's interesting, in which case it's not idle chit chat at all for me. But to me, I just find that draining. I, not that every word or every sentence has to be substantive per se, there's got to be a connection there. So I, and when I usually, when I share that with groups and audiences, they feel relieved because it's not that they see this outgoing extroverted guy on stage or in front of people. And they just think I've got all the answers and then I connect with everybody, but I don't, but I do have some ideas and practices that I like to share with folks. And these are all things that I do myself is often when I'm meeting somebody, and this is even with zoom, this is even with virtual meetings. When I'm meeting somebody for the first time, I, if we don't just click right away, and most often we do just because of the way things are set up. But if that's not the case, I'll often share a story. Like I'll say, you know, Adam, great to connect. I appreciate carving out some time. Can I share a quick story? And what are you going to say? No, <laughs> you're going to probably laugh and say, yeah. And, and so now I might share a quick story about something that I think you would find relevant based on my preparation for the meeting, or just simply a story that just happened just you know now that's relevant to the fact that we're virtual or relevant because something just happened with my kid and blah, blah, blah. And so I'm not talking about like a 10 minute story. I mean, like a minute or two. And then hopefully you'll laugh or chuckle or marvel. And I'll say, isn't that interesting? Has that ever happened to you? And now, of course, you're going to share a story. So now you're just a couple of, you're not, you're still in the first round. And now here you are connecting and exchanging stories. And I mean, does it get better than that? No, I absolutely love that. And are there any recommendations? So if someone's listening right now in terms of the types of stories, and I'm assuming you're suggesting that people go prepared with a story or two. 
If you can be prepared, sometimes my stories just come off the top of my head. Like before, I was just talking about Manny Pacquiao and, and that whole situation of how I met Jackie. I, I didn't plan that. I hadn't even thought about that. But that story became relevant. And you conjured that up. So sometimes that does happen. But I think that life is a series of three-minute rounds. We just have to see it. We just have to be present for it, making sure kind of our guard is up so we we don't get hit by it, but we learn from it. And think about all the stories that take place now that most of our meetings are virtual. I had the mute button on for 10 minutes before I even realized. And just then the cat walked by the screen or my wireless connection went or like we have a million stories. And if that's something that you can just share with somebody like who can identify with that stuff, but it could be a a story about family. It could be a story about this pipe just burst in my, in my basement or whatever it is. But if you're prepared with something that's happening, like right now it's current day, or it could even be a show that you've just watched like kingdom. I'm still talking about that kingdom on Netflix, three seasons. We were talking about the fight game earlier, Adam, like this is about UFC and, and the mixed martial arts community and the the best show I've seen in a long time. So I might start a conversation and saying, listen, I'm not sure if you're interested in fighting, you probably know that I am based on my company, but can I just share a quick story about a show that I just finished watching? So I'll just get into that. And it's just a minute or two. And my purpose is not gee, let me just come up with a story so I connect. Like, I genuinely want to share that because I think it would be fun. And we all have that. You know, so once I finish, I'll say, isn't that great? And then you might say, well, where is that? Is that on Netflix? Is it this? So now we'll get into that. And then I'll say, is there a show that you just finished watching that you're in the middle of that you're excited about? So all of a sudden now, it goes from me to we. And that's a connection. I love that. I love the sparring in the spirit of your uh, vocab, <laughs> the sparring <laughs> of, you know, going. I don't even know I'm it. saying it anymore, Adam. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing, by the way. I know. I mean, I think it's great having a story, being able to tell a story well is so important. I do not do a good job of that. And I, I see people that are good storytellers and the magnetism that that draws when you're able to do something like that. Who doesn't like a good story? Who doesn't yeah. like to take a little mental break? You, you want me to share a model of how to tell a story, yeah, which, which I actually learned from a mentor of mine. So, so yeah, so, so she, she will talk about that. You've got to really kind of start with your best stuff. And she talks about, and her name is Glenna Salisbury and she is a speaker. Uh, she might be somebody you want to speak to. She is 83 years old, still on the stage and she is a master at storytelling. Oh. Yeah, and I got to know her through the national speakers association. And we started co-presenting on like the orientation, like on a national level and talk about two polar opposites. You have Glenna Salisbury in her eighties, who is just the the most polished, warmest, uh, most genuine lady, just wonderful lady telling talking about storytelling and then a boxer who's just raw and just in your face. But we struck a friendship and to this day we go back and forth a lot, but she shares this model that she calls PSA, which is point story application. And it's a great way to tell a story in a powerful but yet succinct way so you don't go off on tangents. So point would be, let me share a story about how I overcame my fear of public speaking. Mm. And then the story. Then you tell the story. And then after that, application is bringing it back to the audience. Remember a we thing. Mm -hmm. So I share that story or why I share this story or what this might mean to you is the next time you, ba, 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 You'll think of the story and you'll know to always start with your point first. That's excellent. So 
I teach it in my public speaking class because it's, you know, how to tell a signature story, only a story that you can tell because it's your story, but then how to tell that story in a way where you're making a connection. It's always about the connection. So, so what do you do when you come across that person that's either the buzzkill or just they're not engaged or <laughs> just something that you know is just someone that's just going to drain your energy? Do yeah, you we don't connect with everybody. That's just the right. way it is. Yep. But we just don't. Even great networkers and those that are outgoing. And by the way, you don't have to be an extrovert or be outgoing to be a great networker. It just makes the connect easier. But there's other ways of connecting, even those that are more you know, introspective or shyer or introverted can still make a connection. It just might be a bit more difficult initially to have them do that. But that said, we don't connect with everybody. And because not everybody is an introvert or an extrovert, or we have different interpretations of what networking means. Because again, we're not really taught this stuff. You know, I've got a clinical definition, but somebody else's definition might be different than mine. So I, re- I refer to that dynamic, like when we truly connect, like Adam, I want to believe that you and I just truly connected when we met. I would refer to that as the one thirder dynamic. Because in my mind, we connect with about, and I mean, truly connect where it's just, it's real, it's genuine, it's fun with about a third of the people that we meet. And that's if we're good. If we're good, about a third of the people. So that's a one-third dynamic. But most of the people that we meet, it's like fine, but nothing really comes from it because there's just no spark. There's no vibe. That's the two-thirder dynamic. And it's the same whether it's online or off. So when I'm coaching or training or teaching, I always suggest focus on developing more better connections and relationships with the one-thirders because it's just easy and it's fun and there's a reason why you're connecting. What do you recommend for people that aren't good at connecting? Like they really struggle. And I actually, the introvert, extrovert, that's an excuse. And you kind of touched on this, but yeah, scientifically, yeah. introverts are actually better, quote unquote, networkers. They're, they listen better. They're more thoughtful. They're more deliberate. More so, process oriented with follow up and follow through. Absolutely. Exactly. So I, I, that's just a cop out and agreed from my perspective. So what do you recommend that people do to either become more engaging, get engaged? Is it the stories? Are there other things that they could be doing? Are there for like the shy person? Then I recommend, you know, maybe you wear a specific, you know, you wear a hat or you do a different tie or you do something to stand out if you're in person to let people kind of gravitate towards you. Yeah. If you're on the more introverted or shyer side of the equation, I I just think you need uh, a higher level of preparation. Yeah. which you're probably good at anyway, because you're, you tend to be more, you know, process oriented and thought provoking. And so it's probably just a higher degree of preparation where on that other index card is you actually write out questions that you feel you should be asking people that are open-ended that you think are important and that reflect not only that you're going to learn because networking is about learning and helping, potentially helping, but questions are going to help you learn about that other person, but also questions that you yourself would want that person to ask of you. Mm. I often suggest that you know you're on the path of one third or though if you ask a question and then once you get the answer to that question, that person counter punches, see what I did there, Adam? How about yourself? So when you get a how about yourself, you're, I feel like you're on the path of one third or bell. So for the introvert, it might be writing out on an index card, maybe lead with a question or lead with a story and then have two or three stories in mind and then write down some other questions. What brings you here? What type of work do you do? Do you like what you do? How did you learn of this event? And so on. 
Let's do this. Let's pretend you and I, we <laughs> meet at an event. We've, I don't know how we did it, but we just connected. So yeah. there, there's a, a decent, I don't know if we're one third yet. It's just not, it's not you and I, we're, we're just two random people. And now, is this uh, going to be like an improv thing where, so I'm at the dentist having my teeth, <laughs> my tooth extracted when I was, and I got to take it. <laughs> no, we're, we're, <laughs> I'm not good enough on my feet to get like, there. And yeah. <laughs> I wasn't, <laughs> I had a banana and yeah. <laughs> So, so we meet, I, I, if I'd love to kind of take the, uh, the pig through the Python for people to kind of uh, see through the Python. Yeah. <laughs> to, to see what it's like from the inception of the connection to all the way through the follow through. So, mm. so you and I meet, there's a, you know, we're not at one third yet, but, but there's that potential maybe for one third. We exchange cards. Maybe there's a way that we can benefit each other. What do you yeah. do then? Walk me through the steps that you're taking, whether from the follow up to the LinkedIn to the next yeah. step. Well, let me to, just let me just yeah. share this is that I often will not go through the card exchange or the contact information exchange moving forward if there's no there there. Okay, good. So if somebody asks me when should we reconnect? Virtually, it's a little different. Like when you're virtual, you have one another's particulars and you've done your homework. It's a whole different look and feel. So I won't even get into exchanging contact information or following up on that if there's no reason to do so. And there's only a handful of reasons. I can help you. You can help me. We can help one another or it's fun. It's purely social. Like that's pretty much it. So there's got to be that. There's got to be something that's there that's substantive. And in my mind, I have to feel like there's we there, that it's truly collaborative. And again, not that you're keeping score that it's that's even Steven, right? But there is a potential collaboration that it's not one-sided unless it's understood that it's one-sided. You're networking with that employer that has the job and you don't, or that's way more established in their career than you are, in which case it's kind of a, almost a mentoring relationship. And, it's, and that changes the whole dynamic. And if that's okay, and you're able to base a collaborative relationship on that, so be it. But I know that you're asking in terms of process. So let me suggest Mm -hmm. this, is that in terms of a networking process, if it's X's and O's, I I, I like to share that there's only four phases of networking, like four. There's your preparation, when you're preparing for an event or preparing for a meeting. There's your presentation. That's your, when you're having the meeting, when you're asking questions, you're listening to answers, you're responding to questions. And you're connecting, you're sharing information about your respective businesses or where you want to go and that sort of thing. That's presentation. Then there's your follow-up or follow-through, if need be, or if you're on one-third or bill, right? And there's a reason to do so. And then there's the staying in touch component. You know, how do we stay in touch? What does that look like? Does it make sense? Why does it make sense? And what do you do to stay in touch with people? You can't stay in touch with everybody. Yeah. We have thousands of people following us these days on social media and everything else. So it's really hard to keep in touch with everybody. But if you can pick the top 50 centers of influence or potential referral partners that you would stay in touch with, you know, that are most relevant to your business and you might be most relevant to their business, those that you have the one-third or good to great relationship with, I think those are the people that you want to stay in closest touch with. And then, of course, there's others, there's other categories. You're staying in touch with your top 10 prospects, your top 20 clients, and so on. But the way I do it is so low tech. 
even though I, there's like so many ways of doing it with sales management systems and, and CRMs and the whole thing. But to me, every month I just reassess the folks that I think I need to stay connected with and that I need to focus on and develop more and better relationships with. So I take a monthly strategy, but it's also aligned at what my quarterly or annual goals might be. And then, of course, there's social. There's just people that I'm just in touch with socially. But I, I'm just very systemic in terms of having lists that I update every month and just making sure that this month, these are some of the people I'm going to reconnect with or follow up with. That's great. It's just good that you have just some kind of system and something that I recommend to people they do at least annually is an audit, a relationship audit. I typically do two a year myself, but I love the fact that you're doing this monthly. Every month. Yeah. Because, you know, relationships change and also people emerge on our radar that maybe we didn't know a month ago or two months ago, which could be a game changer. Yeah. What do you do about the people that are poisoned in the network? <laughs> Define poison. Yeah, that's true. I, I, Takers can't be choosers. It kind of depends. I mean, I'm very protective of my calendar for sure. I have just certain, I create a model week, which is big in financial services. So I, I model that model week myself, where there's, I, I break every one of my Monday through Fridays in halves. So each half is to devoted to something that, again, it's very predetermined given what my goal might be any different, any given quarter. So I only have so many halves that I'm willing to utilize for meetings and they have to be meetings that really have a purpose. So there's got to be that one third or thing. If it's somebody that's just a, as you're defining it, you know, a taker, it's really looking at, do I like them? Like if I like them, I might be able to spend some time with them, but it's also on seeing if I could create a we dynamic. I might say something like, you know, Adam, you know, whenever we meet, you're very focused on your business. I want to just share an idea. Perhaps when we get together, if we spend more of our time collaborating and exchanging ideas about one another's business, we might be in a position to help one another and it might formulate an even stronger relationship. That's a great approach. But the foundation is I have to like them. Yeah. Like I have to think they're nice. I have to think that they've got a good heart. I have to think that they run a good business, that they're smart, or they've got the potential to do all those different things. Again, if there's no there there, mm -hmm. then there's probably no point in spending time. It sounds bad, but we're just certainly not going to spend as much time with people that are going to really be takers and they know they're takers. Correct. I mean, listen, time's our most important commodity mm -hmm. on this planet. So you got to make sure that you're spending it with the right people and giving as much as you possibly can. Yeah. I mean, there's people I have the best relationships right with right now, some of whom became clients. They were takers simply because they didn't know what networking was. Like they thought just talking to people and pitching their services <clears throat> was networking. They just didn't know. And most people don't know. But if I liked them, if there was something that was there that I thought was fun, interesting, smart, successful, then that's you know something that I'd be willing to cultivate because it just might be a learning moment. Yeah, that's great. What's the best advice someone ever gave you? The best advice somebody gave me was to quit my job. Mm. <laughs> All right. That was the last job I ever had. And that came from Willow Shire, who changed my life. Willow Shire was, and this is back in 19, what was it, 1999, I think it was, I played hooky from my consulting job that I hated. Like I loved the job, but I hated the people I was working with. 
and, and I played hooky and I ended up in my gym in some small town in Massachusetts that I was living in at the time at like 1030 in the morning. I'm like a Thursday. I'm out on the treadmill and I ended up striking up a conversation with this woman, Willow, who was on the treadmill next to me. And she probably has 10, 12 years on me. But as we just started talking, I probably started off with, what are you doing here at like 1030 in the morning on a Thursday? (laughs) And we just hit it off. And I realized she was brilliant, Harvard and Cornell grad and the whole thing. She shared that she has a very successful consulting and speaking practice. And then I started letting her know that I was really not happy in my work right now, which is why I'm playing hooky. And she said, you need to quit. You need to quit and start your own business. You're young and this is the time to do it. And I said, yeah, but what if I fail? She said, well, this is the time to fail. Like, this is the time to do it. And and if you make a mistake or if you fail, you can always go back to doing something else or doing what you were doing. But, and and then she shared one of of her biggest regrets is that she did not start her consulting business earlier Mm. because she thinks that she would have learned so much more and been far more successful. And right there on that treadmill, she convinced me and I went back and I did. I quit. And she mentored me a bit and coached me. And if it wasn't for playing hooky on that Thursday, 1030 on a treadmill, running five miles next to Willow, who knows? Maybe we're not talking right now. It was all because you weren't shy and you were able to talk and have a conversation with her. You had yep, to without a doubt. do that. I love that. Without so, a doubt. Willow Shire. Yeah. Willow. Big shout out to Willow. <laughs> yeah. Without a doubt. So as we wind down, I, I, I'd love to kind of run a couple of quotes by you and get your, the first thing that kind of pops into your mind. All right. Sound? Yeah. So success on LinkedIn is taking conversations and meetings off of LinkedIn. Yeah. So you would just want my response to that? Yeah. What, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Do you agree? Disagree? Oh, I totally know? agree. Yeah. I totally yeah. agree. I think uh, there's a difference between having, I've got 15,000 connections on LinkedIn versus I've got 2000 really good ones that I know that I can pick up the phone and, and I can speak with these folks. I mean, how many people follow us or that we follow that we don't really know? So I think that there's importance in that as well as we're posting and we're communicating. But again, the real connections and the real relationships come up when we take the online stuff offline, get to know one another, have a conversation, connect and figure out how we can be resources for one another for sure. Couldn't agree more. If you don't ask, the answer is no. When you do ask, you just increased your odds exponentially. Without a doubt. If you don't ask the question, the answer is always no. If you ask the right question, you get the right answer. That's it. I love uh, Tony Robbins. He says something, the bigger, the qu- or the better the question, the better the answer, and the better the answer, the better the outcome. And he's got that's this right. whole, yeah, that's completely great. A man only learns in two ways, one by reading and the other by associating with smarter people. Without a doubt. Yeah. I don't know if it was Will Rogers. I know it's a Will Rogers quote, but I don't know if it was Will Rogers that said that you can measure a person by the books that they read, the people that they hang out with, and the stories that they tell. I like that. And again, getting back to stories. Yeah, yeah. But you know, but think about it this way. And let me just matriculate that back to the model week. Like, who are we spending our time with? Right. So in light of something like that and the people that we're meeting with and that we're spending time with, does it replicate who we are or who we want to be? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you know the Jim Rohn quote about you are the health, the wealth, the attitude of the average, mm-hmm. you know, the average of the five people that you spend your time with. And without a doubt. And hundred percent. Just look around. Yeah. I'm a big fan of that. So I've been telling my friends they need to upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, I might borrow that. 
Uh, and then my last question, my last quote, and then I'll let you go and do your thing for the day is the best research is a conversation. I'm going to say it depends. Ooh, all right. I like the version. My two favorite two words strung together is it depends. Because often the research that we do provides a much better conversation. So think about the richness of a conversation when you meet with somebody and they've prepared to speak with you. They've been on your LinkedIn. They've watched some of your videos. They've been on a podcast. They read up on you. They're familiar. I mean, how flattering that is. Isn't like on your way to one third of L. So I would say both important, but I'd say, you know, the, the conversation should be to build on the research you've already done. It shouldn't replace the research that you, perhaps you should have done. Yeah, I, I would agree with that thought, that logic, given where how you're thinking about it. I, I guess maybe it should have been prefaced, like how I think about that quote. Well, this is a trick question. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I didn't realize it till you made it a little more complicated. But yeah, no, I was just thinking about more in terms of you need information on something. There's as opposed to Googling something or you get a lot more behind what it is that you're looking for by being able to have a conversation. Oh, there's no question about it. No question. Back in the day where you had to crack open the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica Uh is a little different than I'm having a meeting with Bill, you know, let me spend 10 minutes, click, you know, reading, you know, about Bill and cultivating that research because it's just going to provide more and better connection. You know, I mean, think about how flattering it is when somebody said that they watched your video, they read your book, they did some sort of homework. I mean, it just makes you feel good. Yeah, I agree. Michael, this has been a great conversation. We covered a lot. I mean, whether it's your boxing metaphors, the importance of storytelling, the PSA point, learning about the one-thirders cutting yeah. out. So, so, so Adam, wait, 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 when do we get started? This is the warm-up, right? This is the intro. This is the lead-in into... <laughs> that's it, man. <laughs> that's it. Again, I, I think the four phases of networking were really important too. The the preparation, presentation, follow-up, yes. yeah, and staying in touch. I mean, these are... And so many other things that we talked about. Just great takeaways, great insights. Love your story. Love what you've done. Love the fact that, you know, the importance of asking a question following through with people, making those connections and look at all the, and look at how it all kind of comes together. You and I, for example, we met through Joe Apfelbaum, another great connector. And, and just through the, the course of our conversations, how many other people that we know, I just, while we're uh, talking, I just looked you up on LinkedIn. We have 117 mutual connections. How many of them we know really well, I don't know, probably a good handful of them. I think that that's by being able to connect on these kinds of levels, we're only going to better each other. And as you were saying, as a result, we're going to better ourselves. Thank you for uh, letting me have an opportunity to get to know you better and to share our conversation with my audience. They just got better. Well, well, thanks. And I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be able to uh, spar a few rounds with you, Adam. So thank you. Love it. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast. If you or someone you know is looking for a career change, building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to NetworkWise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network. The ones who succeed will network wise. 